Welcome back to another episode of BPR Radio. I'm Elijah Downsey, Head of Multimedia at the Brown Political Review. Today, I'm joined by Asher Lebovich, a data associate at the magazine and the model creator of the Brown Political Review's first midterm forecast model. In this episode, we will discuss the mechanics of this new forecast model, the motivations behind creating the model, and the future of statistical journalism here at the magazine. Welcome to the show, Asher, and thanks for taking the time to talk about this exciting new interactive project. Hey, it's great to be here. So, Asher, what was the data team's biggest motivation for developing this model? Uh, Definitely interest. We've been looking at the 538 and economist models and models like them for the past few years, and we've just found it fascinating how they're able to take so much data and turn it into just one prediction. Uh, So we've been researching models like them, how they did it, the data that they used to create our own and see if we could get like just anywhere near the actual results. So how exactly was this model developed? Uh, So first we combined prior election results, state and federal level polls, poll error, uh, different incumbency factors and expert opinions to predict the individual result of every state uh, through a normal distribution, which gives us the mean result for that state and also the standard deviation for that state, which allows us to predict the percent chance that that state's going to go to Democrats or Republicans. Uh, generally, we coded our model in R, and then after getting that, we, we, we created what's called a, a Monte Carlo simulation with demographics of each state, uh, first looking at how close the demographics of each state were to each other state. So let's take North Carolina and Georgia, for example. Those states are really close, and they've been moving in the same direction, and they also have very similar demographics. So if we see that Georgia's election result is three points more Democratic than we expected, you should expect that North Carolina's election result is also around three points more Democratic than we expected. So we created a random result for each state and then modified that random result based on how close the demographics were to other states to get the the actual result. And we ran the simulation 10,000 times to get the average number of seats that Democrats won, which is a little bit under uh, 50 seats currently though it might change over the current few days, and then the chance of Republicans and Democrats taking the House, and currently Republicans have a little bit over 65% chance to take the House, or the Senate, sorry. So we knew the polls were wrong in 2016 and 2020. What are the chances that the polls are wrong this time? And in general, what are the potential sources of error in this model? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's the question that everyone wants to know. So first, to understand whether they're going to be wrong or not, we have to understand how polls work. So let's imagine that you have sort of like a magic calling machine or magic, more like a magic connection machine, and you can plug in anyone's name and you immediately get to talk to that person, whether or not they even have a phone. So the way you do a poll is by randomly selecting, say, a thousand people. Uh, And it doesn't actually matter, really interesting, interesting thing about polls, not important here, but it doesn't matter whether you're polling 20 million people or whether you're just polling a few hundred thousand. Uh, The thousand number is what's important, just the number of people specifically that you're calling. Uh, is the important part for reducing the margin of error. But let's say you've called 1,000 people, you get the result, you have a margin of error of 3.4%. Generally, that's around the error. Uh, anywhere from 3 to 4. Uh, that's the margin of error that pollsters put on their polls when they release them. But the key part is that's not how polls work. We don't have a magic calling machine. So that 3 to 4 uh, margin of error isn't what the actual margin of error is. You've done a lot of studies and you found that the margin of error is at least from 1998 to 2014, that margin of error was more than twice as much as the margin of error for most polls. So anywhere from 7 to 8%. Uh, 
And that was 2014 before we saw gigantic polarization and stuff like Republicans not responding to polls. And it's going to be even higher now. So the main problem with polls in 2016, 2018 was a few things. In 2016, uh, pollsters weren't waiting for education. So let's say they, they polled 1,000 people and 800 were men and 200 were women. That's not what the actual distribution looks like. So pollsters would weigh each man lower than women and then they'd even out to have like 500 men and 500 women uh, like abstractly, even though they didn't call that number. Uh, and that sort of evens it out. But in 2016, they didn't do that for education. And what that meant was they got a lot more highly educated people than they got uh, lower educated people. And higher educated people tend to be more democratic. Uh, but they don't, they turned out in lower proportions than they answered polls. Uh, and what that meant was the polls were a lot more pro-democratic than the, the actual result was in 2016. And we saw that pollsters weighted college in 2018, and the polls were much better in 2018. And then in 2020, they were not great. And the reason for that, and also the reason for 2016 being so bad, was because Trump specifically uh, went for sort of disillusioned Republican voters. Uh, and the same Republican voters that were disillusioned with the political process were the voters that wouldn't respond to polls. So when they didn't respond to polls, polls were more pro-democratic. So the question now is, when Trump isn't on the ballot, does the same thing happen or does it not? And we literally don't know. Uh, we also don't know whether women are going to turn out in droves, and especially especially young women with, with Roe v. Wade getting overturned. And we don't know how the economy is going to interact with high inflation and, and really low consumer confidence index, when in past elections that has mattered a lot. So we deal with that by just having more than just polls. Uh, if we have a state that has like an incumbent and expert opinions, which means that all of our various points of data are taken care of, uh, and, and like have data points for that state, the weighting for polls is 56% of the entire thing. So only 56% of the rating for that state is based on polls and 44% is based on other stuff. So that's how we deal with, with problems caused by polls that we also have priors and stuff like that. Uh, but generally, yeah, we don't really know how to solve that. And you're starting to see pollsters, even the best pollsters, uh, I mean, Selzer is a good example of one of the best pollsters. They just were polling Ohio, Iowa a few days ago. And there's a recent New York Times article that came out that pretty much was just talking about that they, they're not changing too much with how their polls work. They're just hoping it works out. And we just don't know if it is. So what are the main takeaways from the model? How will the midterms play out? Yeah, so the model right now doesn't look great for Democrats. Like I said, uh, Republicans have a little bit more than a 65% chance to take the, the Senate right now, and that's driven by a 1.7% uh, margin in Pennsylvania for the Republicans and a 1% margin in Georgia. Uh, meanwhile, Democrats are supposed to keep Arizona with a 1.2% margin and Nevada with a 1% margin. But it's really important to note that 66% is not or six a little over 65% is not 100%. I mean these states are within 1 point, 1.7 points and it's really a gold standard in in modeling to be within I mean the election the problems with the polls were 8 points off. So even a few points is totally a plausible event. Uh it's very possible that Democrats could take both Georgia and Pennsylvania. Uh and you'll see lots of models like 538 and the Economist and others actually predict stuff like that or at least have them a lot closer than we do. So Generally, it's not looking great for Republicans, but Democrats certainly couldn't take the Senate or keep the Senate. 
As you know, the popularity of predictive political models has really skyrocketed with the advent of new websites like 538 you mentioned and magazines like The Economist, just to name a few. What makes this new model from BPR different from other midterm models? Uh, yeah, so so the big thing that makes us different is the pollsters that we cho- chose. Uh, we've seen a lot of few things. One, there are a lot of new Republican pollsters that are just chucking out results, like crazy all the time and they're sort of drowning out uh some other pollsters that are not partisan republican pollsters and you've also got a few democratic pollsters like center street pack that are new uh and that are throwing out results that are like 10 to 12 points more democratic than than the country as a whole or than than other results sorry other polls have for that result uh and and we removed any pollster that was a uh, a partisan pollster that didn't have polls in 2020 or before and if it was a partisan pollster that had polls or in those years or it wasn't a partisan pollster and it had polls in those years before, we keep it and then we augment those polls by the way the average that they are off. So 538 has a pollster rating, which is something that we used and we would like to thank them for, for creating that, that has what's called the mean averted bias. So every pollster has the average amount that they were off from the true result. So let's say, uh, Again, take Selzer, which is a great, which is generally is seemed to be a great pollster. Let's say there were one point Republican off. They had one poll where the Republican was going to win by eight, and one one of the when the Republican was going to win by ten, uh, and the Republican won by eleven. So you'd say that the inverted bias was one point five points more Democratic than it should have been, because on average they're one point five points off of the actual result. So what we do is we then we augment the result of each of these polls based on the inverted bias, and that's how we counter like partisan effects, pollsters that are highly Republican or highly Democrat. But what we do that's different is not counting pollsters that are new, uh, that are partisan. Uh, but also generally it's, it's inter- important to note that this is really a test run. The end goal is 2024, uh, and we're going to get a lot more done in 2024 than we got here just by the fact that this had a month to do. And, I mean, none of us knew really how to, how to code before this or even the statistical theory behind a lot of this. So we had to learn that. Uh, but in 2024, we're going to use the, the failures and successes of this model to help us make a more accurate model, if this isn't accurate, which it may well be. Yeah, so I guess it leads into the follow-up question I had, which is what is the future of this model? How does the data team plan to expand the model to future elections in 2024, for example? Um, where do you see this model potentially going yeah so obviously the goal is to get all all fields so we want gubernatorial we want senate we want house and we want presidential so that's four times the amount of of data that we need to work but also you'll see that there's a few different types of models out there so the the economist model is what's called a bayesian model and it treats uh statistics and probability as like a percentage of knowledge so it'll say if there's a 40 percent chance of something happening we are like 40 percent sure of something uh, but the, the types of models that I'm using, which currently, uh, similar to 538, is what's called a frequentist model, and that treats it as long-term. So if I say that something is 40% likely to happen over the long-term, if I were to run 10,000 simulations, which I, which I did, there, the Democrats would win you know, 40% of the time or 35% of the time. Uh, there's other types of models that are more than just those, and that's what we really want to look into because we want to see if there's a way to create a model that's neither... Bayesian or frequentist, uh, maybe there isn't, and maybe it's too hard, but we'd like to look into it and see if there's anything that we could carve a model out that no one's done before. So, anything else listeners should should look for in the coming weeks? 
Yeah, so the big one is we are having a live election commentary watch party, whatever you want to call it, uh, during the election. It's going to go from 7 p.m. to pretty much whenever we decide to go to bed, which we have no clue when that will be, uh, depending on how the results <laughs> are going, I guess. Uh, the details are still still being figured out now, but I would look uh, on the website in the upcoming weeks, and we'll put it on the website uh, when we figure out the details, and it should be it should be an event. Uh, whether it will be good or bad, we will not know until the night is done at least, but it will be an interesting night, and we'll be giving you details as the night goes on. We'll be filtering out what news is important, what news is, and we'll be giving it to you. Uh, we're also going to try, though we're unsure whether it's going to be possible to put live commentary on the website. Uh, so if you can't make it, you can see it there, but I definitely recommend going to the live live event. There's going to be room for a lot of people, and we, we expect a lot of people to come. Thank you once again, Asher, for being on the show today. Uh, the links to the models will be added in the show notes. If you like this episode of BPR Radio, feel free to rate the show and check out the full range of our content wherever you get podcasts. Be sure to also visit brownpoliticalreview.org to get more information about the election event mentioned and to see more of the exciting work we're doing here at the Brown Political Review. Thank you for listening. Thank you.